Colin Horton. I'm an award-winged surveyor, part-time property investor and self-confessed entrepreneur. I believe that business is all about getting to know the people that you're dealing with and that's exactly what we're going to be doing on this podcast. We'll be having in-depth chats, asking the personal questions and ultimately getting candid. Hi guys, welcome to today's episode. Thank you to Guy for coming on. So Guy is a very kind of inspirational person. He is founder of Glen Hawk Group, serial entrepreneur, loves a startup, and just an all-around cool guy. So I think today's episode is going to be really, really cool, and I'm excited. So without further ado, Guy, do you want to introduce yourself? Because I know who you are, but hopefully you <laughs> viewers, listeners do as well. So yeah, do you want a little brief introduction to yourself, mate, and we'll go from there. Well, thanks very much for having me, Colin. No worries. Everything you said at the start, that was a complete lie, but it's all, <laughs> <laughs> always uh, always nice to hear. Um, so yeah, as, as Colin very very kindly said, um, I'm, um, I would I suppose you would say, an entrepreneur. How do you define that these days? But um, I love the thrill of, uh, uh, of business and the deal and meeting people and, and developing products and, and brands and, uh, and businesses. And uh, my main business is... Glenhawk Group, uh, which is a non-bank lender. So we specialize in short-term mortgages to developers, investors for auction purchases, um, quick acquisitions that will be very shortly refinanced onto longer-term debt. So buy-to-lets, for example, or commercial term and other three to five-year products. Started the business um, nearly four and a half years ago now. Uh, we're up to a team of 50 based out of uh, just opposite Hamleys on Regent Street. So get a nice view you're of- You're in the uh, SME, uh, SME level now, aren't you? No, it's crazy. Yeah. It just grows <laughs> but it, it's enjoyable because I like working with people. So we built the business out now, so 50 people. We've got just under half a billion of assets under management. And um, really it's been an incredible whirlwind. We've had a lot of headwinds on the way to get here. We've obviously had Brexit, we've had elections, we've had Ukraine. Obviously, very sadly, we've had the Queen passing. So there's been a lot of macro environments that have made growing the business very hard, but it's been incredibly enjoyable. And um, yeah, here we are today, uh, looking forward to the next five years of the journey. I mean, I've known of you guys for about what, four or five years now. Um, and one thing that always stood out about, yeah, I think you should want to be where, I mean, we met, to so far nice, we met, properly in Mipin last year, which is a property conference in South of France. Sounds really glamorous. It's, it's relatively glamorous, but it was, I don't know, I just, I was like, this guy's cool. I, I kind of want this guy in and around my life. Not in a, not in a, not in a weird way, but it's just a, you know, it's just a cool guy. And I think one thing that really stands out for you, what Glenhawk have done, not only great business, but branding. You always, not many lenders, in my opinion, have any idea about branding. Mm-hmm. And from the colour scheme to the way you conduct yourself. I mean, you, you got like over 70,000 followers on LinkedIn. Like, I thought I was doing all right, but you're absolutely, sure. absolutely <laughs> dwarfing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, obviously, you, you built Glenhawk. How has kind of branding and that been, has that been part of your success? Has it been part of your main strategy? Talk me through it. That's, that's a really good good question there, Colin. And um I think if you look at our space, and it always has been, and I suppose your space as well, until until you came and did your innovation within it, it's been quite archaic and very slow to innovate. And the best thing I'd relate our space to was I saw an article in the Times the other week about a guy that launched a toothpaste um, company, and he went around the supermarket, found the most boring product, and thought, I'm going to, you know, put some sex appeal around that and make it better. And I suppose that's what I did in this space, really. I thought, 
all the brands that were out there with respect to them weren't that exciting. They all had either finance or capital at the end of their name, which isn't a bad thing. It's worked for them for a long time. But I thought, well, why not just put one word to it so you sound like a bank, but clearly we're not a bank, we're a non-bank lender. Um, and you sound like you have this gravitas and power. Um, so I went on a domain branding site called Novanym, N-O-V-A-N-Y-M, uh, .com, really great site. I'd recommend anybody to check it out for inspiration for a brand name or an idea. So what's, your, just, what's your day? So, so you just go on and search through all the brands. It's got pretty much prepackaged brands. So it's got, oh, wow. it's got a name, a description behind it, a logo, and you can buy it off the shelf. You get the .com, you get the brand, but it's really good for spurring your mind to yeah. come up with ideas. So I went on there, saw Glenmore, and thought, wow, that sounds, one, it sounded a bit like an American wrestler. Is that any good? Um, and then two, it had Hawk in the name. And my mate, after I bought it, paid about 900 quid for it. My mate said to me, oh, it's got Hawk in the name. You can't run a lender and have Hawk. People are going to think, oh, you're Hawky and Sharkish. And I said, mate, look at look at the Barclays logo. It's an eagle. Yeah. And he was like, oh, right, yeah, of course. And <laughs> I said, so we, we very quickly forgot about that. And like most things, if you ask too many people their opinion, you're going to get some that will really cloud your judgment and stop you from doing it. And I'm a big believer in you should never not do something if someone says it. Obviously, don't break the law, but, you know, up to a point. Um, and that's how the brand all came about, really. It was looking at how we could make the market a bit fresher and a bit more exciting. And to this day, it's worked well. Having that green colour has really hit home. Not like the power of like the Nike tick, but almost people see green and think, oh, yeah, that is Glenhawk. And there's not many people in our space that have got those sorts of I must of admit, it is quite an iconic colour in the in the sector. Like it's, I, it, I see that green, it resonates with me. It's Glenhawk, like straight off the bat. So you've done, you've done well with that for a start. I mean, we... I think nothing we had in common also. We've had a little bit, if I don't mind like mentioning it, we've had, we're not had spats with our rivals, but we sometimes had mud thrown on us from our rivals because maybe we are disrupting to a degree. How have you found that? Because obviously you are, in my opinion, making waves in the sector. How, how have you found some of the more jealous rivals? Has that been something you've, you've enjoyed? you struggled with? Like, I enjoy it to a degree. Like, I get, take it personally sometimes, but... You know, it's yeah, it's, it does yeah. kind of spur me on a little bit. You know, it's hard. I mean, you've got you've got your own baby, your own business, and it, you're clearly doing very well. And you have the same headwinds as that, like anybody does in our, our situations. And you've got to learn to try and be resilient to it. But I like to think I've got quite a soft heart. And sometimes, clearly in work, you have to be hard-edged to a degree, but you also need to have compassion for others and uh, be kind and caring. And that's how I was brought up, and I'm sure how you were brought up. And yeah, sometimes you, you see these posts, you see, I think more recently, we've been growing very quickly. Uh, we've just taken on another funding line yesterday of 200 million from NatWest Markets, which we'll announce next week. So we've got all this good news and a lot of people don't like the good news. And I'll get sent screenshots of rivals uh, telling our employees like direct lies. They'll be messaging them. Recruiters will be saying, oh, Glenock have run out of money. Glenock have done that. Glenock have done that. And it's relentless. And every few days I'll get a call from someone and they'll go, have you heard about what they're saying about you? You hear what's happening there? And it just wears you down because you think, I don't want to deal with all this. Like, I'm not going out going, that lender's rubbish, that lender's rubbish, I hate them. Yeah, there's a few people I probably don't like as much because they haven't been as pleasant to me, yeah. but I'm quite a big believer and you just kill it with kindness. So you meet them in person at an event and go, oh, hi, how are you doing? Good to see you. And they're like, oh, why has guy been so friendly to me? It's like, well, life's too short and um, the market's big enough for us all to be there. So just, you just got to try and take it on the chin, but sometimes it's really hard. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's some, I like to think I'm stable emotionally, but it's uh, it's tough. Sometimes. Do you ever find, because I find there's two types of entrepreneurs. You've got your relentless animals that will get to the top no matter how they get to the top. 
And then you've got one where, like yourself, who's actually just a nice person, probably has quite strong empathy in them. And I sit on that side of things. Do you ever find, I, I found in my own career that I sometimes get taken advantage of by people. They all take kindness as a, as a weakness. Mm-hmm. Have you ever struggled with that yourself? Is that being with people who've kind of been like, he's guy, that guy's lovely, but, mm-hmm. and then, De- definitely yeah I think more in the early days um, especially when I was raising investment for the business you'd come across people who I mean you must have seen this where they try and sell you the dream sell you everything they can do and you're quite young I was quite naive and you think oh this would be great they can get me here I can do this 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 and then ultimately they just either rip your idea off or they try and take your vision try and replicate it elsewhere and they're just leeches and yeah I've had that many times and still get it now um, but now, uh, not as bad. It's more you can see them coming, you can yeah. see them a mile off. And, you know, as you get older, you get a better judge of character and you go, well, I don't want to be around this person. I don't want to associate. And come back to your point earlier about when we met in Cannes, you know, as a mutual, all right, they're a nice person. I want to spend time with them. And as you get older, it's a bit easier. Um, and you know what you want to be around. And um, those early days were were quite hard because you don't have the track record, you don't have the the brand and the um, you know prestige to go out and sell yourself. You have to rely on connecting and meeting people. So no, it's not not easy that. Especially. One thing I'm purely because I'm selfishly interested. Obviously, you would have to raise capital when you build up. How how was that? Because that's something that always fascinated me. Is that I respect it. Anyone that go and convince people to kind of invest in them. And how how was your kind of first kind of Ray? How did that go? Talk me through it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds really simple, uh, but clearly it wasn't. It was a lot of no's, a lot of... Um, yeah, well, 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 there were a lot of no's. Yeah, many people said it won't work, don't try it. The market's too competitive was one of the biggest things I got. And even now I meet up with some of those people who said that on day one. They said, oh, we were wrong and it yeah. worked. And yeah, we've had a bit of luck, but we've had... We, make worked, we worked hard and you make your yeah. own luck. Um, but I'd say it was um, a bit of a challenge. I had a good track record from the property development I did in London in my early 20s. I was starting out project managing for investors. Then I went to co-investing and then I started to meet more investors and slowly built it out uh, to doing mainly investments with one sole investor who's our main investor in the business now. And I went to him and said, listen, we've been borrowing off these bridge loan firms. I think there's a really good opportunity to go out there um, treat the customers well, offer a really good service and product, and just be a, a nice lender to a degree. And um, he, he he said, okay, guy, let's have a look, let's analyze it. So we sat down, crunched all the numbers, all the details, and he became the seed investor. But that was probably after uh, speaking to seven or eight investors and trying to get there. There was one who was nearly there, um, but then this investor, he's very passive. I can work with him very well and we're very good friends. So how, how, yeah. how did you find him originally? Uh, it's a long story, about that. <laughs> um, but it was through a referral to a friend okay. and, uh, you know, it's, you say you make your own luck. I just said to this friend, oh, I'm looking for an investor for this business. Um, do you know someone? And he said, actually I do. And it's like putting yourself out there and just asking the question, worst case you're going to get back is a no, but he came back and said, yeah, this guy will speak to you. And throughout my time, and especially as Glenhawks got bigger, you know, you, you attract more people like that as well. And as the business gets bigger, more investors come to your door and go, oh, can I get on that journey? And it gets a bit easier, but certainly those earlier days were a challenge. And when I had to create a financial forecast for it, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, still now, I don't really know what I'm doing, but um, you, you know, you wing it to a degree, you make it, you be truthful, you be honest, you say what you're going to do and um, people will get attracted to you. And the day you treat someone bad or you're underhand, 
reputation goes, your morals go, and then you're not going to run anything in the future. So that's good advice, mate. Very solid advice. I mean, going back to your early days, um, right touch on the first thing, but the property development side of things, interesting. So how did you, how did that come about? How did you get into that? Because it's not, there's so many things online that become property developer, blah, 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 easy peasy. It's not, I've tried a few flips, even that's difficult. That's just a little flip, let alone a bloody property development. So, Talk me through how that went and then how, like, because that's, for me, it's really interesting. I know a lot of our viewers are big property people. So, yeah, talk us through that. Yeah, sure. And as you say, it's it's that one thing. I mean, even when I was a kid, I was always saying I want to be a property developer and it sounded great and grand and probably up there with I want to be a trader sort of thing back in the old days. So for me, it was a bit of a cliche. But when I was a kid, um, uh, a friend of mine's dad, uh, he'd gone bankrupt a couple of times and he started a property development business. And I remember standing in a field with him when I was on this 125 motorbike racing around. And he said, uh, he said, what do you want to do when you're an older guy? And I went, oh, I'd quite like to do like you, property development. And um, he actually went on to be a hugely successful guy and built up a company called Go Outdoors, which sold to JD Sports a few years ago. Oh, wow. About 160 million. So Fair. Paul's always been an inspiration to me. And he's moved to America now, I think. Um, but uh, he was like, his one word of advice for me was just do it. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, just do it. And I was like, okay. And it always sticks with me. The field we were in, in Matlock, in Derbyshire, where I'm from, where we were, what we were doing. And I thought, you just got to go out and do it. So in my early 20s, when I moved to London, I started off by exporting cars to Singapore and Thailand, working with a great guy called Raj out of Windsor. And so, yeah, what's uh, this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that's not something I, I don't really talk about it that much, but uh, that was my only ever POE job, effectively, apart from um, what I'm doing now with Glenhawk. Um, and I've always had a passion for cars, anything with engines, trains, Yeah, we'll touch, we'll touch on that in a bit. The, the yeah, whole yeah, lot. Yeah. And um, uh, he took me in and we started exporting cars to Singapore and Thailand. Because cool. back then it was uh, cheaper for someone in those countries to import a right-hand drive car, because they drive on the left there, than it was to buy brand new in that really? country. Yeah, so we had a bit of a niche. It was Raj's business, but I went in to do sales. And it was just me and him traveling to Singapore and back doing business. And it was it was great fun. And at the end of that, I thought, well, I've made a little bit of money now. Um, I want to go into London, moved into London, went to a few estate agents, did the whole boots on the ground thing, said to the estate agents, do you have any investors or developers that might want someone to help them source sites and deals? And I'll be, you know, the, the go-to man or the, the, you know, the maker or the deal guy. And they said, yeah, we've got a few people. And they put me in touch with three guys, um, helped them on the ground, helped them find deals. There was one guy I did a lot of transactions with all around Chelsea, Fulham, Kensington, Putney, Wandsworth and Battersea. And these were mainly ground floor, two beds. We put a side return on a small extension at the back, turn it into a little two bed with a courtyard, fully renovate and flip on. I project managed the whole thing from finding it, developing it, selling it, extending the leases, whatever needed doing, um, the whole thing. And again, made a bit of money doing that and then went into developing my own projects with those investors and then other investors. So slowly built myself up really. And I think the one bit of advice that I should tell myself back then was the overnight success takes you know 10 years. It doesn't happen as quick as I thought it was gonna be. I thought, oh, I'm gonna make millions from property really quickly. And it takes a long time. And back then I was hungry, I was pushing hard, I was desperate and like, come on, let's grow, let's grow. Uh, the reality is even now I'm still growing, still developing and, and it takes time. So yeah, that's how I, how I got into that. But it was all from that passion when I was 16, 15, 15, 16, meeting that guy, Paul, Paul Kaplan. Who's it's, a, it's mad how you just guy. meet a couple of people in your life. They, even at the time, you don't, you don't realise the impact they're going to have no. on your life. No. And then you look back and think, Christ, that guy, I changed my life. 
Yeah. Like, I don't really realise that. It sounds a bit corny, but it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And looking back, how you just remember those moments. And it's like a trigger, isn't it? And it's on your journey. It sends you that way or that way. And it's like a crossroads. But it's... Uh, no, it's cool. Nice. I, I mean, 2022, dating apps. You were on the earlier adopters on the old dating app well, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suppose. Are you responsible for any babies, do you think? Uh, maybe. We had, so a little bit of background. Um, I was living with a friend of mine, Paul, um, who's a very clever CTO now at a, a large gambling firm. Oh, he's always been clever, <laughs> far cleverer than me when it comes to software. And I'd had a few bad, t- I say bad Tinder dates, dates where I'd turn up and the rapport wasn't there, the conversation wasn't there. The photo, the attraction was there, the, the text conversation was there, but the voice wasn't there. And um, for me, I thought, I wonder if we could create something like Blind Date, like Scylla Black did back in the 90s. So we came up with a name called Revealer, reveal with an R at the end, .com. And we thought, let's make it a voice-based dating app. So we set about making it like a Tinder, but for the voice. And you matched. And we had the patent for social matching and integration using the voice. And it, it worked and it boomed and we got about 85,000 users on it. Wow. Um, we had some bizarre connections because we didn't have a filter on where you could connect to and from, which was a mistake at the time. Um, but we had you know, people in Brazil connecting with people in Romford or wherever. And it was quite remarkable. Um, and we got some really good trends out of it. The French were really good and confident in recording their voice. The Italians were good. Brits were a bit shy and retiring and recorded it a few times. But yeah, did that. And then we sold the IP and tech onto uh, essentially the, the group behind the largest dating firm in the world. And that was after about nine months. Of that Tinder now, is that Bumble? Bumble? Uh, yeah, yeah, subgroup of that. Some, yeah. that she's changed. She's only young. She's a Bumble girl. Yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah, under, under 30. Yeah. Our exit was very small. but um, it Do was, you wish you'd hold on or is it? Uh, no, because I didn't have a passion for it. I didn't oh, enjoy don't. it. Um, I don't think Paul really enjoyed it. it. We didn't know how to scale it. We got loads of good PR from it, um, all for free. But we did. We were in so time. Technically, if you still have the pattern, yeah. you know, like Hinge now has the yeah. uh, voice. That mean they wouldn't be able to do it. Um, I'm not sure what they did with the pattern or how it oh. works. There's, to get a pattern is extremely hard, and to lock down the specifics of the idea, you have to have exact process, and it's quite easy to manipulate that pattern and do something else. So, but we were the first to do it, and it was a really fun experience. Um, but one of those, you know tree roots in life or branches where you go in and you go, oh, I'll give that a go. And you've just got to give it a go. Would you like to go back into another product business again, like a tech business? Yeah, definitely. That's that's one thing I'm doing at the moment is um, setting up a consumer-facing financial services brand, but not within the lending space. Um, it's in the consumer hire space. So if you remember years ago, we had Bright House on the high street. Um, they were very much consumer credit. They were higher purchase the FCA had huge issues with them. There was massive uh, mis-selling problems. Um, but I see an opportunity in um, the hire as, as owner, which is a regulated space. Um, but hiring gadgets month on month, no upfront commitment, no credit. We used to have, um, oh, when I was growing up, um, we had a TV from something like Bright House, and they had a box of it. Yeah. And they had to put a pound in to get like four <laughs> hours of TV. <laughs> yeah. It was quite sad. I mean, it was quite a low point in my life, but like, it was mad. Did you actually like... But there's still companies that operate like that. Really? Now. Yeah, there's some very big traditional firms that operate like that. And I see, the way I like that is I love building brands. I love building uh, a vision and a product and looking back and going, wow, we built that. And then seeing the customers come through gives me so much satisfaction. So for that, I'm in the process of just building a team, got the brand name, putting it all together, um, and yeah, and it's that's another journey, but because Glenhawk does take up a lot of time, but I do have a bit of time to 
pack a team of experts in that yeah, business. Yeah, so do you delegate it? Invest account? and grow it. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. to a degree. Yeah, we've got to that point. Do you find it hard to delegate? Yeah, you know what? I mean, we've got some amazing people in the business, like absolute yes. stars. Um, but sometimes when you do delegate, you miss doing the job. You miss thinking, oh, God, I, I love doing that. It might be something as simple as we're expanding our office space at the moment and it's planning out the layout. And I thought, oh, I used to love doing that and choosing the chairs and now someone else is doing it all. Yeah. <laughs> so you almost miss the, the hands-on part of, um, uh, of the business, definitely, as you get bigger. And now we're at the size where... Yeah, you've got CFO, CCO, COO, you know, all the C-suite there. It's very formal and not, I wouldn't say not me, because it's a, it's, it's a nice Have you moved from boutique to more corporate now? Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. And we have to with the likes of our investors now being JP Morgan and NatWest Markets. It's, um, it's quite a serious business, um, but I enjoy it. I love it. And every day there's a new challenge. And as we were saying earlier, there's quite a few headwinds in the world at the moment and You've just got to push through them. And it makes you resilient, but yeah. some days you feel you're not quite getting over there. <laughs> you get knocked back down again. How is it? How is it the, oh, by the way, Denhawk's office is really nice, by the way, people. So if you get a chance to go down there, very nice. But um, how are you finding things at the moment? Because obviously, I feel like everyone's anticipating some kind of crash of some sort. I mean, God help, we've got this nutty bird. I mean, giving out politi- not political, but we've got these trusts that I don't think could like organise a piss up in a brewery but like how are you guys concerned about the property market over the coming months years or are you guys quite I guess it's all in your forecasting and planning but is it what's your what's your what what do you think is going to happen yeah it's a really good I mean that's like the million dollar question isn't it what everyone's thinking yeah I'm take some notes yeah Yeah, Yeah. I mean I don't know much Um, but uh, what I I mean HSBC put an article out the other day saying they reckon 25% drop in UK house prices in the next two years. And I screenshotted it, put it on the album on my phone and put it in my calendar for a year's time. I'm a big fan of doing that. And then you look back and go, did it actually happen? Was it as bad as they were making out? I really don't think it's going to be, I mean, going to be on video and audio saying this stuff, but I really don't think it's it's going to be that bad. Um, People, from our perspective, people will always borrow in an up market and a down market. People will always invest when they see opportunity. Um, But I think as, as you know, and a lot of the listeners will know, there's a chronic lack of housing in the UK, huge lack of supply, the government aren't building enough, and it's a very British thing to want to own your own home. Renting's great, it's got loads of flexibilities, but people aspire to own homes. And what, when you've got that, you're chain supported and everybody's fine. I think the only uh, ceiling or collar we might get to is the interest rates. And if interest rates start to you know, raise over five and start to squeeze, we may see a bit of a slowdown, but I certainly don't think we're going to see a correction because yeah. we are property mad in this country, unlike Germany and Switzerland, which is heavy in the renting uh, space. Do you think, I, I, I was having a chat with my mortgage broker friends the other day talking about how, how home ownership and it's very generational, isn't it, to own yeah. your own house. And uh, um, a few people I know are mortgage-free and... One, I'm jealous they're mortgage free. But two, I'm thinking, you know, why, why are you mortgage free? Why are you investing that money into something like, I was even contemplating my mate, I was like, why are you going interest only on your house? Because you, you ain't going to live there forever, are you? I was like, yeah. nah. <laughs> but like, I feel there's a lack of education in terms of property ownership. I think it starts from schools, I think it stems from everyone that's hell bent. Obviously, the capital growth is wonderful. But do you think it's, still the British dream to be mortgage free do you think that's sensible I mean intrigued to get obviously because you're a lender yeah I think personally um, debt is okay if debt's managed correctly 
there are certain types of toxic debt, whether it's high APR credit cards, payday loans, but they don't really exist anymore. Um, but I think debt in your house at a low interest rate at a sensible leverage is, is acceptable. Um, personally, I'll, I have an interest-only mortgage in my bank because end of the month, the, the cash flow is there. I know, I mean, this is my circumstance, but bought the property, renovated, added value to it. So I know there's a lot of equity in there. And then every year I might do a down payment. Or- that is really interesting that you talk about interest-only and, and someone that does what you do with the experience is on an interest-only mortgage. Um Gives me a bit of comfort though. Maybe I'm not on the down, down the wrong path, but um, yeah. But you'd be surprised by how many do have that. And for me, it works well. It's good for cash flow. Um, I do pay down now and then through various liquidity events, through property transactions, or whatever it might be. Um, but as, as I mentioned, if you built up a good amount of equity in it, I wouldn't suggest doing it if you had 85% or 90% leverage. Um, but it works for me, and yeah, I think uh, if you're sensible and it's not. A high cost of debt and debt's not a bad thing in, in, in that perspective i think that's like growing up debt in my family was it was like horrific like it was yeah. but i do think it, it goes back to schools i mean cause kids are getting themselves into stupid debts with stuff mm-hmm. like klarna and like yeah. just to buy their clothes they're spending I was like, this is ridiculous and they're buying 800 pound trainers and they earn 14 grand a year yeah. bonkers yeah. um but I think it's so important like, to be told that like, this is where I feel like I'm political all the time, but it's, it's so interesting to hear people like you talk, which I think are relatable. You can actually teach people about debt and that it's not always, you know, what is bad debt, what is good debt. Um, what, 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 would you, what would you class as bad debt? I think certainly payday loans, yep. um, but don't really exist anymore. There's a few providers around. Um, I think anything, I don't believe in the Klarna models where you are effectively... It's not taking on debt, but you're, you're purchasing. It's encouraging you to purchase something you don't need. Yeah. And I, I always ask myself, which drives my wife mad, uh, three questions whenever I want to buy something is, do I want it? Do I need it? And can I afford it? And if you do yes to all three, you buy it. But most of the time I've got moth holes in my jumpers yeah. and I've got holes in my trainers because you get to the, do you need it? And you're like, actually, no, I don't. My, my, my shoes are fine. And it's a really good way of stopping yourself buying stupid things. So I think it's... It's about being sensible, you know, and I'm I'm a big advocate that in schools you should be taught the difference uh, about living within your means, not trying to live up to other people's lives on social media. And these days it's so easy to see someone on Instagram, Facebook, wherever, and go, oh, look at that, they've got Ferrari, they've got that, they've got that. Why can't I have that? And how have they got it? Because there's always a backstory behind it. It's never as clean cut as you think. And those sorts of exposures, you know, fuel um, the purchasing issues and fuel bad debt when... You don't need to go out and buy the latest car because no one really cares and you'll feel good for a few days and that's it. Um, do it one day for sure, so yeah, you've done yeah. it. But um, yeah, there's certain levels of, of debt. And of course, mortgage is one of the most sensible if the LTVs are correct and, and you're comfortable and you can afford the repayments and so on. Um, so yeah, I'm an advocate for um, for interest only on, on your home. You touched on that. I've been dying to talk about this with you, cars. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a bit petrified, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, like anything with a motor, yeah. So what are you driving at the moment? Don't mind asking. Oh, uh, I've got a lovely 1967 Alfa Romeo um, Julia GTA, oh, which is a really stuff. small yeah, coupe yeah, um, beautiful. with a step nose front. I'm having restored at the moment. Um, and then a, a couple of other bits. Um, I don't, li- do you, I'd listen to I'm not on social media. I don't yeah, like talking about it. Yeah. I've got, yeah. I, 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 what's, I, the, okay, what's the favourite car you've had? Uh, uh, probably, if, Ferrari F12, that was a great car, nice. really good. I did 
stupidly 30,000 miles in it. That's, uh, I don't think that's stupid though, mate. That's, that's, enjoy, that's enjoyable. I'd always wanted one. Um, Oldermore do great financing. Yeah. So they took out um, financing through Oldermore. They're probably one of the best for it. Yeah, great. If anyone's ever looking for car finance, they're great. Um, and uh, yeah, that was great. I mean, I really used that car. Used it almost every day and people were saying, you're mad. I'm like, well, I've worked for so long. I thought, let's just do it and use it. Um, Which I've read. Did it? What? Red one. No, silver. Uh, Grigio Ferro, it's called the car. Lovely. Um, that V12, though, is... Oh, it's amazing. It's really good. It broke down all the time, though. It was in the dealership, I reckon, for about five months, one year. First world problem, but had massive electrical issues. Oh, really? They, they usually call them like a Friday Ferrari because... Um, uh, it was built on the Friday when the Italians are sleeping. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> They're all asleep and they're up to the electrics. But no, yeah, yeah, I love anything with an engine. I'm, I'm quite geeky, so I might love motorbikes, classic motorbikes, and just getting Yeah, remember you say you like your classics, don't you? You're a... Yeah, I prefer them, I think. It's, especially in London, when you're nipping around, you get a better um, reception from people if you're on an old motorbike or an old car. Oh, you want a 355? Oh, gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah, really great car. They're doing all right for money at the moment as well. They're not terrible. Yeah, I, I mean, mean... They're getting up, but the, they're not The right terrible. cars are pretty good investments, really. Um, 458 is probably what I'll get. Yeah, they're doing next. well. They're yeah. doing really well. I mean, that, that sort of era of Ferrari, without going too far away from property, does well at the moment. I mean, yeah, speak for you, mate. Yeah. You, you, yeah, yeah. you can invest really wisely. I mean, I, one of my old early investors, he bought... A Ferrari F50 for 360, and now they're like 2.4, 2.5. In about eight years, they've gone up to that level. So it's it's unbelievable. And um, but yeah, it's uh, alongside that. Clearly, I love aviation, planes, trains. You, you got part? You got part of that? No, I did years ago, um, but then it lapsed. So uh, I need to get back into that. It's just time, you know. You never have. Is it hard? What's it like flying a plane? The exams are the hardest part. Oh really? Yeah, flying bit is good fun, and oh, nothing's easy in life, but it, it is a challenge. But I'm quite heavily dyslexic, so I found the exam, oh, yeah. found the exam oh, was quite oh. hard. So I look at a piece of paper, read a paragraph, and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it takes a while to sink in. That's mad. I mean, so much respect for you. That, like, that's... I think, it, you know, it hasn't hindered me in any way, I don't mm. think. it's Yeah, when I'm in um, large meetings with investors or funds or whatever and we're raising money, I think a little bit slower and I ask maybe questions that some might think, why is he asking that question? But eventually I get there. Um, but then in some ways it makes you be a bit more creative and it makes you not think harder, but you, you just don't push yourself too hard and the answers come. So, um, yeah, as I say, never really stopped me. Um, and ultimately that guy, Paul, who I mentioned earlier, he was, and is heavily dyslexic and he got to do what he did and, and was very successful. It seems to be a trend. A lot of really successful people seem to be dyslexic. Like. I wouldn't say I'm really successful, but, you I know. Think, I, I think you're, you're putting yourself down, mate. Ma- maybe it encourages you to take more risk or, or, or do things slightly differently. Yeah. Um, do you, obviously, touch the site there, actually, but you wouldn't class yourself as really successful. That's me. You are. But it's interesting how even Tyler, the last guy that was in, was very kind of self is it self-deprivating where you put yourself... Is that right? That's right. Yeah, 100%. Right, yeah. Self-deprivating. Yeah. Self-depri- yeah, that's right. Anyway, that's me the put, yourself down, <laughs> put yourself down. But I think that's a quite a common trait of entrepreneurs. It's, um, and obviously, the kind of circles you're dealing with, there's always going to be people that are going to be at that next level. Do you, have you ever suffered with like imposter syndrome or anything like that? Or have you always been quite comfortable in, your, in yourself in a room? Every day, imposter really? syndrome. Yeah, to the, not to an extreme level, but... You wake up and you think, what am I doing? Oh, no. Well, how's this going to work? What's going to happen with Have that? Have you ever had the one that stands? Has there been a time that's ever been, like, palpably strong where you felt like, I should not be here? I think sometimes when we have a really successful moment and I announce it to the team or I'm with the team, you almost feel like, do I deserve this? And 
I don't know whether it's imposter syndrome or just you doubt yourself, but then by doubting yourself, you improve yourself and you push harder. Um, so it sort of helps a little bit, but yeah, I get it. And quite a few people I know still get it that sometimes you just don't back yourself enough. And what you don't want to be, and we've all met him, is that overly confident, arrogant person who you don't want to spend 10 minutes having a coffee or a beer with because yeah. you think, oh, I don't want to be around you. You're toxic. And we all know and we've all met them. And yes, you can still be successful being like that. A hundred percent, there are a lot of people like that, but you can also be successful by being humble, working hard and treating people well. So it's um, not really as binary as, uh, as that thing. Interesting. I mean, one, I guess for me, I've, I've always tried to over the last, say always, over the last couple of years, is put myself in situations where I do get to meet, you know, people like yourself, like to elevate myself to be in rooms with people I wouldn't necessarily have been in or even dreamt of being in like two, three years ago. What kind of advice you, would you give to young entrepreneurs who are trying to come in into whether it's property or not um because you've you've had to juggle a few plates you know you've had one business doing that another business doing that, and that, and that. what advice would you give to someone coming through maybe thinking about going on their own uh i'd say i'll get back to that original advice you know just do it put yourself out there give it a go take the risk um would you get investors or would you try and do it on your own if you can you know what it's that classic thing that people say get a loan off your mum and dad or whatever and uh i'd I'd, I'd, it depends on the type of business you know if it's capital light you can try and do it yourself um put a bit on a relatively good interest rate credit card uh, or find find angel investors whether it's through angel investor network I picked up a couple of investors off that site a few years ago. Oh, is that actual? Uh, yeah, called Angel Investor Network. And people just uh, want have passive income. That's- yeah, there were some uh, some good investors on there, some good seed investors who might put 40,000, 50,000 in to start your business. Um, but I think ultimately the the biggest motivate, motivator for me, and I think I picked this up off Steve Jobs, so I'm not going to take the credit for it, but like what we've seen recently with the Queen sadly passing away, it, it's death. Death's a great motivator. And to realise that we're all on this planet for a finite period of time, makes you think actually i won't do it tomorrow i'll do it today so let's just do it you know screw it let's do it and branson that said that it's like just get on with it and try it and what's going to happen worst case you're going to fail but it's not a failure it's just a lesson you haven't you're not going to be embarrassed people aren't going to look at you and say you're an idiot um people will do that anyway in life so yeah <laughs> you you might as well just try it and um unless you take that leap unless you just push you you're never going to find out if it's going to work or not and like this consumer hire idea, um, I'm going to invest in it and try it. And if it doesn't work, I've, I've learned my lesson, but I'm confident it will. But if it doesn't, I can sit back and go, I tried. It's better to make mistakes than regrets. That's always been something yeah. that I've always always believed in. Yeah, definitely. Um, two more questions for yes. you. Go for it. Important question I'll ask everyone <laughs> is, what's your favourite bag of crisps? Wow, that is hard. Um, Don't say quavers. No. Um, no offence to quavers, but... It's between Watsits. Watsits? But the, your hands get really messy yeah, with Watsits. Yeah, yeah you, need a, you need to wash them. You can't drive and eat Watsits, it never works. Uh, <laughs> I'd say McCoy's Ooh, Ridge Cut Steak. Um, Great crisp. And onion steak crisp, yeah. Like that's those. a solid, mate, that's yeah. why you're a success. That's a solid crisp. It's a crisp good crunch, bag. good ridge, and good flavour. Hey, that's an ad right yeah, there, yeah. There you go. We'll that, that, that'll be the soundbite from that whole podcast. <laughs> and the last question, which I, for me, I think you get to know someone best when you ask their aspirations and their dreams. And say we should do this again in five years' time, yeah. which hopefully we will. Yeah. Um, sure. We look back and we say how the last five years have gone. What to you would have been a success? I think waking up in the morning and wanting to get out of bed yep. is a big driver for anyone. Whereas if you have that one day where you think, rather just stay in bed today, 
if I can keep that going, still have that excitement and passion, to me, that's it's a success. And yeah, of course, I want the business to be commercially successful and touch wood, I'm sure it will be the way it's growing. Um, however, I still want to have that passion. And to me, have that passion, have that enthusiasm, continue to treat people well and build a commercially successful business. And what that number looks like, I don't know. Um, is it is it the number side of things? Is that thing? Because you strike me as someone more that's enjoy, enjoyment of life. You could have 100 million or 10 million or a million or 100,000. Not that it's irrelevant, but mm. is a number a tangible goal or is it more just outright happiness? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's been talked about a lot recently. And some, I mean, through through the investments and business and people I've met, I've met people who, a good mentor of mine, um, a chap called Basim, uh, Basim Haydar, actually, he's an interesting guy. People Google him. He's a really good friend of mine. And he's a self-made billionaire, Lebanese guy, lives in London. And you meet him and you uh, you see about his life and his experiences and it's almost, you know, dampened you down because you go through so much stuff that you want that amount of money to, to, to have, not necessarily ultimate happiness. And then you meet people who might not have much that are extremely happy. And so you start to think, what do you need in life? You want your health, you want comfort, you want, um, uh, you know, to be loved and you want all the basics in life. And it sounds really soppy and cheesy, but um, as long as you've got those, then, then life's good. So for me, it's more about building something where I can look back and go, wow, we employed, I mean, our forecast in the next two years, we'll have up to 200 people in the group. And I want to go, wow, we've paid their rent, their mortgages, we've paid them well, we've treated them well, we've made them grown pers- grow personally. And I can look back and go, wow, that was me that did that. And then if there's a financial reward with that, cool. You know, it's uh, it's part of the, the dream, pays the bills. Um, but it's not the be all and end all, I think is my, my message there. Um, ultimately, coming back to that point earlier about um, what I want in five years. Yeah, just keep going. Well, mate, you've been fantastic. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me, so mate. Much. Pleasure really as always. Thank you.